Hey everybody, welcome to episode 69 of Making It. After a week off, I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Picciuto. Hey, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. And Jimmy Duresta. Hello guys, how you guys doing? Oh, real doing good. well. Yeah. How was the week off? Oh, I stayed up late every night. I'm so tired right now. <laughs> every night this week I went to sleep at like 4 o'clock, that's why I sound a little groggy. Whoa! And uh, since we since we all spoke, I was in uh, Houston. I did my talk at Gulf Coast Green. It went well. I'm going to put that up online once I get it edited. And uh, I came back, and now I'm in Louisville. I'm talking to you live and direct from Shively. Where am I? I forget where I am. I'm so tired. I'm in. I'm at the the Stitzelwella Distillery, where Bullet Bourbon. Spell that. B u l l b u l l e i t. You know how many times I made that sign? I know how to spell that bullet. <laughs> I don't know how to spell no, the no, word no, no. bullet. No, no, no. B-U-L-L-E-A. The distillery name. Oh. Distillery name. Uh, Stitzel, S-T-I-T-Z-E-L-W-E-L-L-E-R. Stitzel Weller. I don't, I don't believe that. I, I'm, I'm, I just made that up. I'm sure I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm looking around the room. No, Stitzel Weller, it's in, uh, I'm in, I, I, I want to say Shively, but that's the town that's away. I forget the name of the neighborhood I'm in. Shelbyville? Um, no, all right. I'm in, I am in. Shively right now and Shelbyville okay. is where they're making the new place that's about 30 miles away. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, the, like if you look at the loop, Bob, you, you grew up here. So, you know, if yeah. you look at the loop, I'm in like the southwestern loop. Is that? Yeah. Yep. That's Shively? It sounds right. What's yeah. a, is, this, is that the Bourbon Trail there. loop? No, no. I'm just talking about the loop of the city. Like when, you know, every oh. city has that loop around it. But gotcha. yeah, the Bourbon Trail goes in and out of the city, kind of goes down south, uh, you know, about 25 or 30 miles away and comes back up and in. So the trail is just like a series of distilleries people hit. But yeah, it's uh, I'm here doing some stuff, getting ready for the Derby, getting ready for a Kentucky Derby, but I will be gone by the time the Derby goes off Sunday. We're just going to work up getting parties set up each night leading up to, because every night there's like a different setup for a different brand. So I'm mm-hmm. here with Dave. Dave Welders here is running around. They're ribbing nice. me for being in an office on the computer while they're all running around doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So, it's important. It's super no, important. We, no, no. I mean, you know, consistency is really the name of the game. You know, with any success, I, I, I truly believe consistency, you know, no matter where I am, no matter what we do, no matter where anybody is, if you can keep content going and, you know, whatever it is you say you're going to be able to deliver, if you can deliver it the best you can, consistency. Yeah, so. Totally agree. It was actually kind of weird for me to not do this show last week. I didn't think about like how, how much it's become part of my routine. Sure. You know? Yeah, same with me. But then... When we had a week where we didn't do it, it was just like, oh, weird. I haven't talked to those guys in a while. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I felt the same way. But, you know, you had a good reason, so. Yeah. So it feels fun. like it's been weeks since we've actually recorded, but it's only been two. Yeah. yeah. Kind of crazy. So, what have you done in the last week, David? Uh, I I can't remember what we talked about last time, but I have finished the Ulu Knife, and that is part of a collaboration. So uh, it's been, it was sent off to Austria. And I didn't realize it would take a week and a half to ship to Austria from Really? Yeah. It just arrived there yesterday. So I got that. I got a bunch of videos to edit, um, some antiquing videos, the whole Indiana trip. I have yet to edit that. And um, I may actually ended up making another Ulu knife because I liked the way the first one came out and I wanted one for myself. And uh, so just editing videos. Got four yeah. videos to edit right now. Nice. Yeah. Did you do anything differently on the second knife? Uh, no. The thing is, I thought the second one would be easier, uh, but I had the blade is curved, and so there's a bevel that's on one side of the blade, and I was having a really hard time getting a nice, even, sharp bevel, and um, I didn't make a jig, which I should have, but I actually didn't couldn't really i didn't give it much thought but i couldn't think of a proper way to make a jig to put that bubble on there and i'm sure when somebody sees the video they can say hey you should do this and next time i can do that but uh so the second time was a little bit harder but it it came out fine Hmm. awesome um well for me so the last uh one of the big reasons we missed last week was because i was in kentucky actually right down the road from where jimmy is now about 45 minutes we just missed each other. Um, but yeah, I was up there because my grandfather was sick, um, <clears throat> kind of near the end. And so I went up to be with my, be with him and be with my dad and his son. 
And so I was up there for, uh, gosh, a week and a half or so. And um, so pretty awesome that my job now gives me the flexibility to be able to, to drop everything in an afternoon and go, you know, to take care of something that's important. So that, yeah. that was pretty cool. But, um, and I want to talk about that today, if that's all right with you guys. Um, but because of that, I haven't really done anything, <laughs> any work. Um, it's not entirely true, but, um, as far I haven't really got a project, you know, to talk about or show off or anything. Um, <clears throat> so I was up in, in there in Kentucky, um, to be with my granddad and he's, he was a really amazing guy. He ended up passing away while I was there and we had the funeral and, and everything for him and got to see a bunch of family, a bunch of friends I hadn't seen in a long time. Um, and it was a really sad, but good, but interesting week. And for lots and lots of reasons, some of which are totally not relevant here, but, um, it did get me thinking a whole lot about like legacy. And if you guys are all right with this, I want to talk about him for a little while and maybe it's self-indulgent, but you know, I just would like to talk about him and, and kind of the impact he had. And then we can kind of springboard off of that as to how it can apply to us. Well, mm-hmm. I think it's also important to, to qual. I'm sure you will, but qualify your grandfather as a maker. He was a very well educated and well skilled maker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Um, he, I was named after him. So he was, he was Bob Claggett too, but he's a, he was a dentist. So he was Dr. Bob. Everybody called him Dr. Bob. So this is somebody who grew up in the depression. Um, didn't have much growing up. His parents ran a restaurant and so he worked in this restaurant growing up and there's a point to all this stuff. The reason I'm telling you these things. So <laughs> wait for it. Um, but through being in Kentucky during all this, talking to my friends and my family and, you know, his sister and my dad and all these different people, I learned all these stories, some of which I'd heard before, some of them I hadn't, but they, they added a lot of context to a life that was already really impressive. So he grew up, uh, in this very, very small town working at a restaurant that his parents owned. And because he was a kid in that environment, he was kind of like out of the way. He sat in the back, he listened, he, you know, in that time period, you were just kind of like you did what you were told. And so he spent a lot of time listening and seeing things that, um, and just observing. And that I think became part of who he was because he was super observant, both from like a visual and listening perspective, but also just about who people were, what they needed, what they, how they felt. He was just really observant about that stuff. And so he, you know, he grew up, he was in the Navy, um, he was a dentist in the Navy, has some really crazy Navy stories, which would take up an entire like show by themselves. Um, was he in two? He was was in, he in World War II? No, he was in uh, Korean con- conflict. Mm. Um, but yes, just some really crazy stories. <laughs> like they're, they're pretty amazing to listen to. But anyway, he was in the Navy and, um, then got out of the Navy and continued being a dentist and was a, a dentist until he retired. And then my dad and my uncle were also dentists. Um, they all had a practice together. But somewhere, I don't know the exact year, but somewhere after he got out of the Navy, he started painting. And it was just like a random, I don't think he had any art training of any kind, but he just started painting. And so he, for the rest of his life, for probably, I don't know, 60, 70 years, painted landscapes and portraits and just an unimaginable number of paintings. (laughs) Like it's, we were going through his house and just looking at all, all of the production, like everything he produced that was still in the house. So there's a bunch that he gave away and stuff, but to look at somebody's body of work at the end of their life and be like, Whoa, that's a lot of stuff, you know? And that was just painting. So he painted and then, uh, eventually he used his woodworking skills to start carving. And we've talked about his birds and his fish before that he's carved just beautiful, uh, you know, anatomically correct fish and birds. Um, and the reason I brought up the observation earlier is because when you look at these birds and you look at these fish, you can tell how much time he spent observing and watching their behavior and watching, you know, what they ate and listening to the sounds that individual birds would make and stuff. Like we would sit around on the back porch and he would say, Oh, listen to that. That's a whatever, you know, that's a robin or that's a, Killdeer, or that's a whatever bird it was. He knew all that stuff. And he observed them 
to the point to where when he carved them, he was carving like specific patterns within their wings. He would find dead birds and cast their feet and then pour them. Um, he, he would mold their feet and then cast them in lead. So when he made these sculptures, they would have lead accurate feet that he could bend. Wow. That's and crazy. I found while I was there, I found a bunch of the molds of these feet. It was amazing. It was just like so cool to see. Wow. That's cool. And then, you know, the fish were the same way. It was like, you could see all the scales, you could see, you know, the individual like patterns. And I was looking at one of them up close and I never understood how they look so lifelike. And I realized that he made some sort of a gel coat with a sparkle in it. So he painted them and then he put this over it. And that sparkle was just there enough to give you that like fish scale sparkle look, you know, and they look totally realistic. But point being is like he's he was super observant about the world around him and then could turn that those things that he had noticed into something and like make something right out of it. Um, so, yeah, he was totally a maker. Can um, I can I interrupt? Do you happen to have yeah. anything he made nearby you? Um, I don't have any. Th- Actually, yeah, I got some birds. Hold on. Oh, there it is right there. Well, so we'll put some some pictures of these in the show notes. But um, oh, wow. Wow, that's incredible. It looks like a bird sitting on a piece of wood in front of you. Yeah, yeah. wow. Is that carved and, in like a piece of basswood or something? Um, yeah, all the bases are just like different kinds of... of um, but the bird itself is, is carved into like a piece of basswood or something? Yeah, yeah, he used basswood for most of his carving. Um, and, I mean, just like, I'll put close-up pictures of these in the show notes. Just the the painting and the carving wow, together. they're, they're um, incredible. Yeah. And and so we were looking at the you know you guys can see these birds. We were looking at his house, and my niece and nephew went around and started counting how many birds they could find. They found 182 birds in his house. <laughs> Whoa! But we found one that was numbered on the bottom 283 or something. Mm. And you know all of us grandkids um, have them, and they've been like given away because he just would give all this stuff away. Um, and so they are all over the place and. Who knows how many there have been or are. Um, that's like a hummingbird. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Balanced in a flower, in a, yeah. In a flower that he carved, you know. Yeah, he was something pretty amazing. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I say all this because he was, he was totally a maker, totally um, a child of the Depression, meaning that he didn't throw anything away, that he fixed everything he could possibly fix. You know, he didn't like just throw stuff away and buy a new one. We were joking while we were at his house because he, um, somebody went to go to the bathroom and they lifted up the toilet seat. A toilet seat, which, you know, we would immediately throw away and go buy a new one, right, if it was cracked. This toilet seat had a crack in it, and underneath it, there was a metal plate <laughs> holding this toilet seat together with epoxy and, like, four different kinds of screws. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all joking, like, only granddad would, you know, like... Take the time to to fix a toilet seat instead of go buy a new one. It's funny. I just talked in my lecture and we talked about uh, generations of makers. And I said, our generation, our grandfathers fixed stuff. But the new generations of kids, they're having grandfathers that never fixed or did anything with their hands. And mm. so that's where the, the idea of makers is just slowly starting to catch back on again because of stuff, because of people like us. You know, our generation, right. your grandfather knew how to make things and it wasn't anything special. It just was, it just was what it was. Right. That, that culture is disappearing. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I, I think that's part of what I wanted to talk about. Um, and this goes, we, we can talk specifically about making because that's relevant to what we're talking about, but it also goes into just the way we treat people and the opportunities we give the people around us and stuff. But I think, um, you know, in everything that we do, no matter what our job is or no matter how we present our content or no matter how big our family is or whatever, we have like an opportunity to decide, like, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to make this thing or fix this thing, um, I could do it in like the cheapest, fastest, whatever way possible, or I can do it my best. And through watching my granddad, he did everything his best. And sometimes that meant it took a long time or it was, you know, out of what he had on hand or whatever, but it, the fact that he uh, didn't do the, the quick and easy and that he took the time you know, to observe and to translate those details into reality, that said a lot to me, and I grew up watching him, and so that has informed a lot of who I am 
um, and a lot of like why I think it's important to do certain things and to not throw certain things away and um, why I think it's important to teach. He was also a, a teacher, like he, not like a accredited teacher, but this is somebody who, um, you know, his livelihood was being a dentist, but then he also would just like randomly give uh, drawing lessons and painting lessons at churches or at whatever. He used to volunteer at a women's prison like several nights a week for years, helping these recovering women figure out a way to, to, you know, talk about the problems that they had and get past things. It's amazing. He did tons of stuff like that. And, you know, looking back at some, because at the end of somebody's life, you can easily look back and see like, wow, this is the impact that they had. And so as we were got, you know, got to talking about him a lot, looking back at all the ways that he affected not only us as his family, because we got to see him up close, but the way that he affected like the community, um, and he was, you know, like he helped all those women at that prison. He he was on like all these advisory boards to help hospitals get started and to preserve old buildings. And to um, he worked against uh, segregation, you know, to like mix the the races in certain parts of our our town that I grew up in. And you know, just like he had far-reaching impact, um, probably in a lot of ways that we will never know. But it was really amazing to look back on somebody's life. <clears throat> And be able to point out so many different ways that he had, that he left a legacy, that he had an impact. And it's easy, you know, I've been reflecting on this a lot, obviously. But it's easy for me to get caught up in my day-to-day, wow, I've got to get a video out. Wow, I've got to get my kids from school. Oh, man, I'm so busy. And to forget about the, you know, the effect that everything we do can have if we choose for it to be effective. Yeah. And I'm not saying that like every little thing has to be effective, but just in the way that we present ourselves and the way we deal with people and where we decide to put our time um, can have a lot longer lasting effects than right now, than what we see. Mm -hmm. You know, because I don't think my granddad probably thought in all those different situations, I'm going to leave a legacy and everybody's going to talk about me at my funeral. You know, (laughs) I don't think that was the goal. Right. But it happened, right? (laughs) Because he he chose to go after the good. And chose to invest himself in places where it was helpful to people. And um, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? I don't know, maybe this isn't even a conversation. Maybe this is just me <laughs> talking about my granddad. But no, no, it's amazing. It's that? it's really amazing. I, it's amazing. The the I, I always think of dentists as craftsmen. You know, people dentists. I met a lot of dentists, and they only think of themselves because when I sit in a dentist chair, I've had a few dentists over my life. Not always the same guy. And I sit down and I discuss what I do. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. You make things with your hands. Oh, I always wanted to do that. And I'm like, that's what you do every day. You make teeth. You, know, you fashion <laughs> teeth or, you know, oh, yeah, but it's not really art. I'm like, no, no. I've actually talked to a couple of guys and I'm like, what you're doing is, is a certain artistry. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you're basically mimicking mother nature. You know, what's the difference between what you're doing and what a figure drawer does? And, hmm. you know, and here your grandfather made these beautiful, incredible birds. I mean, you just held up like three birds that look like you held up three birds that you just pulled out of a tree. Incredible detail, incredible painting, color detail, and uh, it's it's amazing when someone's motivated just by instinct and not necessarily by any other thing. Like he wasn't motivated by money or motive. You know, I don't know him that well, but the idea that he made these birds and just gave them out away to people, it's really a beautiful thing that somebody's just motivated to just create. And you know, that's that's what this maker movement is has become. And and in many ways, it, it has, it was never identified in certain generations. Like, you know, your grandfather just did what he did. And he, you know, that was it. And, and, but by nature, he was an artist. He was born a natural artist and, yeah. uh, and a naturalist, it seems like, because he was inspired by nature. And, yeah. uh, you know, and now, now we put labels on those things because we have to. It's kind of like, you know, you take the last raccoon and you put him in a case because you just ignored it for so long. And you're like, oh, look, there's a beautiful raccoon. I'm like, yeah, there was hundreds of them around. You know, I'm saying that as a metaphor for makers and people in general that are just naturalists and artists. And now now that there's a rare breed, everyone is sort of celebrating it. But then that's also now proliferating it. So more and more I'm getting emails and and contacted by younger kids saying, now I know what I want to do with my life. I know we all do. We all get those emails. And it's fantastic to know that we're making that impact. And in many ways, you know, there's no doubt about it. Your grandfather affected you and your father. And, and here you are giving what he gave you to the world. I mean, you talked about him several times over the year. And yeah. 
you know, the way he's affected you. And it's, it's just an amazing thing. I kind of, I would like to see a little documentary on people like your father, the like a secret, or your grandfather, like a secret artist, not necessarily mm. a secret artist, but you know, just a, a passive artist, not somebody that's out there and, you know, exploiting what he does, but just doing what he does because it's just in him. Yeah. I'd be curious. You should do a one day doc on your grandpa. Not yeah. giving you homework assignment or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> just if you could, yeah, I, mean, I would love to see like a, you know, a montage of like 250 birds that he made. Yeah. So you got to go collect I do have them. some footage, some footage of some of his birds and stuff, but yeah, I, I wish that I had, you know, it's easier in hindsight, sure. <clears throat> excuse me, in hindsight to look back and say, oh, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. I, and I really do wish that I had gotten some video of him telling his stories and showing some of his stuff from him, you know, it's, it's different coming from the person that created it, but, yeah. um, it's, it's really interesting. Like, so my grandmother passed away 13 years ago, I think. And she was, you know, typical grandmother, like the house needs to be straight and you know, it needs to look good. And you keep all your painting stuff then in there and your wood stuff in your shop, whatever. Man so after she, <laughs> right. So after she passed, he basically moved his painting studio into the kitchen <laughs> And so, so for like 13 years, it's just been like easels and paint and <laughs> stuff. So, you know, we went in there last week and there were like three easels set up right in the kitchen, right in the way. And you had to move everything just to walk around. And he just lived that creation, you know, I mean, until the last couple of weeks of his life just was creating all the time and set up his life around that, which is another really inspiring thing. Um, you know, not all, not everybody's going to be able to make a living necessarily uh, making things, but through some other kind of separate things recently, I've I've started thinking more about how um, like the work life balance idea is kind of if you throw that away and just decide that it's all the same thing and that your life is just the thing that has work in it, and then if you kind of accept that you can create your life around what you do. Even if you have a full-time job, you like he did, he created his kitchen, which normally would have been one thing. He made it into a way for him to create. And so anytime he walked through that kitchen, he had the potential to create. And, you know, through thinking about that, I got to think about a lot of people who have full-time jobs who, who really keep their passion for whatever it is separate from, I have to do this thing 40 hours a week and I don't know how you would do this, but if you can like try to figure out how to just stick those things together, put your passion in the way so that you have to walk through it every time you do the essential stuff, it just becomes, it's not a separate thing that you only do on the weekends. It's just like part of how you do your time, part of how you live your life. And I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but from walking through his house, you could just see that that's what he did. Like he put his creation and put his passion in the way of everything else. And he had to go through it. It's a great way to put it actually, because it's funny when you think about like, I think about my YouTube channel and you know, the, the passion that's become all of ours is making these videos and, you know, sharing what we do with the world. It's definitely in the way. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely in the way. It's funny because now like, you know, it's no secret. Every single time I get a job, I'm like, okay, is this going to be a movie? Can it be a movie? Yeah. If, uh, if, how can I manipulate it to make it into a good movie? If it's going to be something, all right, let me just make a movie that's about, you know, this technique. And, uh, so yeah, that's a good way to put it. The passion being in the way of everything else so that it gets done. Yeah. It's funny. I just had, uh, a, a dentist fill cavities in my mouth yesterday. Um, but, uh, going back to the legacy thing, I just wanted to point out, I think there's two different types of legacies. There's the the people who are trying to create a legacy, those who are trying to change the world, like a Steve Jobs, Bill Gates type person. And then there's the people who create a legacy just by doing good things all them all their lives. And then it adds up to all these stories and this, this great life that we can all, all reflect on. And that sounds, the, the second one, it sounds like your grandfather. Yeah, for sure. It was interesting, like, as we were, I've never been a part of, like, planning a uh, a funeral service, or, and I wasn't really a part of this either, but just being around it and being a grown-up, you know, I had a different perspective on it. Listening to my dad and my and his brothers talk about this, they were like, you know, a lot of times you go to a funeral and people get up and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they tell all these stories in the funeral, and it, like, gets flowery, 
right? And they're embellishing on somebody's life to like, whatever. Um, with my granddad, it was like, what could we possibly get up and talk about that everybody doesn't already know? You know, he's anybody that knows him knows what he's done, who he's affected. They know the stories. They know who he was, you know. So they decided to have like a really short funeral because like what else could we possibly add to the life that he lived in talking about it? And that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a good compliment. About that. You know, like I would love that <laughs> when I pass if that's the thing that's done you know, where they don't feel like they have to flower up my life because, you know, I did what I did and, and the impact is obvious. So I don't know, maybe that, I don't know if that's relevant and I'm rambling a lot in this, but you know, this stuff's all been swirling around um, and it's all kind of mixed and mingled in my head. But um, do your uncles, are your uncles makers in any way? Artists? Um, no, they, they all kind of joke that uh, the artistic gene skipped them that generation. <laughs> Although, you know, two of them are dentists and, and, uh, like my dad has always made stuff and, um, has always had a wood shop and actually got to see a TARDIS he made for my nephew the other day. (laughs) Um, he built like a full, the blue phone booth from Dr. Who, um, closet and it was pretty awesome. So it's funny because I was thinking of a turtle while you were talking. (laughs) Not a tortoise, a TARDIS. (laughs) 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 We're back to mallards and mallets again. Oh no, here we go. Yeah. Blue turtle. Yeah, but but they do joke about how um, you know how it's like skipped their generation and hit all of us kids. Mm-hmm. But I had never really thought about that. You were talking about like the dentists being kind of makers, and that's totally true because they. My dad was telling me about like all these different processes they use to mold teeth or yeah. to take impressions, and it's like the same stuff we do when we make totally. molds and. You know, and, and and my granddad would use a lot of those same techniques in his art, which was really cool. He used to carve these little. Um, miniature buildings like it would fit in the palm of your hand buildings super detailed historically accurate sculptures and he would make one out of clay and get it super detailed and then he would use his impression material from taking dental impressions paint it with a cover of of uh, latex and then make an impression on the back side of it and he would make a hard mold out of this thing break it into a couple of pieces so that he could then fill it with I don't remember what he filled it with, some sort of a plaster or something. So then he would be able to, to make reproductions of these little buildings, and then he would paint them so that they were detailed. So it's just like another thing that he did hmm. all the time, and there's just like tons of these little buildings floating around. But it was interesting when he first, I was probably a teenager when he started doing that, and he showed me one of them and showed me the, the uh, mold for it and explained the process. And it's not a difficult process, but at the time I was like, what? I don't. I don't understand. Like, I don't have any experience with this. I, okay, sure. Thanks, granddad. You know, <laughs> and now I'm looking back at it like, man, <laughs> I would have learned a whole lot about mold making if I just paid attention. <laughs> you know, it's funny that generation is there. It's amazing. It's just, they've had this passive life as an artist and they, mm-hmm. they didn't want accolades from the friends and family. They just wanted to just go hide in the basement and do stuff. And it's the reason I bring this up. Cause it's very similar to, uh, my sister lives in Long Island and she is friends with a woman. And one day the woman said to her, my father passed away and I have a whole basement full of tools. I don't know what to do with them. I'm not going to take the time to sell them. Would you think your brother would be interested? Cause she knows me from YouTube. And so me and my dad went over there. The woman was super sweet. And she's like, anything downstairs is yours. Take whatever you want. My dad passed away. He spent his whole life hiding down there, making things. Nobody in the family does what, what he did. I just don't want them to go to waste. I want them to go to somebody that can appreciate them. And so me and my dad went down into this gentleman's workshop. He was in his 90s when he passed away. And it's just amazing to see all the little intricate things he saved, the things that were important to him, the tools, the way he put them in a certain spot. We, She just said, I have to sell the house. Please, you know, I, I want more than anything for you guys to take them. Because, hmm. you know, if you can't use them, you'll find somebody that can. She didn't want any money. And I took a drill press. I took a couple things. But... The one things that were precious to me, and I feel like now I'm the carrier of these little tiny hand tools, like, you know, like, like little, like picks and, and, uh, uh, a couple of little like scrapers. And you could tell, and actually I'm like big into these steel weights. He had a couple of things, right angle things. You could tell he used them for 30 years to, to set things when he was making frames into right angles, just little things he probably got from a scrap metal guy that he's been using for years. And so I took a couple of these possessions and I always feel, and I've done this a few times in my life now, I feel like when I take these tools from these older guys, you know, their spirit 
lives with them. And so I have the spirit of several of these type of, you know, World War II era maker guys mm. that never wanted any accolades. They just wanted something to do away from the, the regular grind. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these guys had families like, you know, Bob, you're an exception. You're the only one I know that has four kids. But a lot of these guys had families who are young and all of a sudden, you know, they needed a release. And so like they do these wonderful, artful things. This gentleman I'm talking about had incredible like heirloom furniture all around the house. I'm like, he made this? He's like, oh yeah, he made this. I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, it belongs in a museum. And he yeah. made this too. I don't know what we're going to do. Like these beautiful pieces of like kind of craftsman style furniture. And when I see the tools he had, he didn't really have a great, great set of tools, but he made incredible stuff. He had this like little rinky-dink table saw and a couple of hand planes. But the Mm -hmm. furniture that was, I go, he made all this stuff in the house from what was downstairs. I just like double-checked with her. She's like, yeah. (laughs) And and then recently I got a chance to go and see this other guy's shop, who this this abandoned machine shop. And walking through that, you just think to yourself, like, how skilled was this guy? He had all these incredible machines. Like some of them I never even saw. I didn't even know what they were. I had to look them up. But apparently this guy, uh, he passed away years ago. So he had to be from that generation. And his shop was just sitting here empty. And we laughed, me and uh, Billy and Dave, we found a, a carton of cigarettes hidden inside one of the milling machines. Like a <laughs> carton of cigarettes from like, they had to be from like 1980. They were so old. And we laughed. Like the guy probably was out here smoking. So was, you know, because he was not to smoke in the house or something. But he had them like hidden inside of a compartment inside of one of the machines. So it's just that that generation of makers, you know, I think... One of these news reporters called the, the the greatest nation alive or something, or the greatest the greatest generation alive. You know, the generation yeah. of of, of yeah, young men generation. of young men that were you know in their in their twenties during World War Two. Um, there were so many skilled makers, and it just wasn't exploited the way it is now. Like I said, it's because there's fewer there's fewer of us, and so we're kind of held or uh, we're held more in high regard because it's just like, oh, he's just in the basement making an exact perfect replica of a bird. You know, like, meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. you could probably get a job at, you know, the, one of the most prestigious natural history museums, you know? I mean, it's it's really, it's something to consider is to collect all his artwork and try and figure out how to put a show on for yeah somehow, some ways, it's, you know, just so people can really honor the work that he did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, We're of course, that, you know, of course, you know, he sounds like a, a wonderful person aside from, you know, the, the wonderful things he left behind, mm-hmm. you know, so that just makes it all the more better to see all these things together. So we need, we need these, I mean, it's kind of, they're sad moments for sure, but we need them to help us remember that, you know, we are fragile and there is a limited time and we need to make really good use of that time, you know, spread positivity, help other people as, as, as much as we can. Yeah, for sure. You know, like this thing, this whole thing with my grandfather has, kind of compounded on several other things that have happened to me over the last six months or so. Um, and like the, the marathon event, you know, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and watch my video that talks about that. But being faced with exactly what you said, the fragility of our lives and like with being faced with death gives you a different perspective. And in the moment of both of those events, I was like, Ugh, this is awful. I hate this feeling. This is, you know, but then looking back on like the marathon thing, I've seen um, a huge amount of positive, uh, actually life-saving stuff that has come out of that one single event that happened to me. And so it, it's really interesting to be faced with, at the time, what I think is like a horrible, I don't want this feeling. And then to be able to look back and go, whoa, there's literally lives being saved because of that one moment that I had to go through that I didn't want to go through, you know? And it's kind of the same thing with my grandfather. I mean, of course, I don't want to lose somebody that I love, somebody that has such an impact. But now I'm getting to talk about him in this context. Yeah. And everybody that's listening to this show at least is getting, you know, familiar with the chance they have to to have a legacy, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, to have an impact, even if it's like a small impact. I mean, you can still have an impact. And so, I don't know, It's I've, over the last several months, found that even some of those things that you hate to go through... um can turn out to be really, really far-reaching and positive things. Um, so, I don't know. I guess that's encouragement for people who are, you know, stuck with crappy stuff that they have to go through. It can be good. It, it doesn't even have to be as 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 horrible as, as losing a loved one. It could be like you could right. take the, 
whatever situation you're in, if you don't like your your job, who knows what that's going to lead to in the future? Or you don't like you have a your car is broke down and and you're you're stuck. Who knows how that is going to affect the the path leading down the road? And you you may find something positive out out of that, or may somehow change your life, and <laughs> you may give you a different. Uh, angle to view a situation for sure like uh, pat flynn perfect example if anybody doesn't know pat flynn has a podcast called smart passive income and he teaches entrepreneurs how to make a living that dude got fired from a job that he enjoyed that he was good at that was well-paying and because he got fired he decided to start this whole other thing this like podcast and websites and building passive income so because he got fired at least David and I, Jimmy, I don't know if you listen to him, but at least the two of us have learned a lot about running our businesses because of the knowledge that he gained after getting fired. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, and we are two of thousands and thousands of people who learn, have learned from him and continue to learn from him. Well, yeah, pe- there's tons of stuff like that. People always ask me what started my YouTube channel. I said to revenge, uh, you know, discovery dropping my show. And, you know, that I was like, I'm going to show them what they lost. And, you know, but, you know, that, that goal has obviously changed. I, um, I'm inspiring people. So my YouTube channel was a reaction to being let go by discovery channel. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to make movies and I don't want to be behind the camera and I don't want to edit, but I'm going to show them. Hmm. And you know, here I am. Now you love making movies. Now you love editing. I'm obsessed. It's like my passion and it's like everything gets, you know, dissected in my mind into like, okay, how can this be a video? But I was always letting somebody else, I always wanted somebody else to do it for me because I just wanted to make stuff. I didn't want to film it. But yeah, you know, those are the forks in the road that we have to look at and make decisions at and, you know, wonder, is this a fork in the road? Is this a moment in time where my life's going to take a turn for the better? You know, can Mm -hmm. I, can I manipulate that turn and make it a turn for the better? Or, you know, is this going to be a turn for the worse? And can I see that coming? You know? Yeah. And And, uh, and like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, and then, you know, how will it impact my friends and family? Yeah. Well, and that leads to what I was going to say is like, uh, it's easy, I guess, to keep the context here, to think about the context within the three of us, right? We have big platforms. We can speak to thousands of people at a time. That's not what I'm saying about legacy. Legacy and about impacting people is about impacting your kids or your friends or the neighbor next door or mm-hmm. some random person in a parking lot or whatever. I mean, it's about like affecting people, human beings that are close to you or that you have reached to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that can be, I don't want to say as small as teaching your kids something because that's a huge thing. I mean, as like uh, direct as teaching your kids something, you know, that has as much impact as us making a video about whatever and so many people seeing it. So, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't want people to like listen to that and be like, well, I don't have a platform, so I can't have that kind of impact. Totally not true. My granddad did not have a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> huge impact out of one person who was not trying to be famous, not trying to be popular, not trying to be any of that stuff, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing with my dad. You know, my, my dad is the same way. He's like so kind. He's kind to a fault where it's like, I'm like, stop trying. People aren't paying attention. And, uh, Hmm. you know, but he's just, so many people see how kind and generous he is. And, uh, you know, I just hope that rubs off. And again, you know, he doesn't have a YouTube channel, of course. We should start like a channel that's all about our our dads and granddads. Mm -hmm. Just give them episodes. (laughs) People who don't have channels for themselves. Cool. Well, do you guys have anything else to talk about with this? I know I, I just rambled and it wasn't it was good it, to no, talk about it. It was more than a ramble. It felt it felt good, and we can all learn from other people's experiences. So it didn't feel like a ramble. It felt like a good like let's let's talk about this. Let's you know understand where we're all coming from and where we're all going. Yeah, no, cool. I think it's great to get, you know, to talk about some of these things are uncomfortable things to talk about, obviously, and it's important to get it out there. And then, you know, when someone hears this episode, hopefully they'll turn to their loved one and say, let's see what you're doing. Yeah. Let's see, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let me pay closer attention to, to these people around me while, while I have them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Well said. Cool. Well, um, you want to talk about what we're watching? Sure. Okay. I think I'm going to plug myself today because it kind of relates. So right before we hit record, I I put out a video 
and it's a vlog style video and it's all about positivity and um, so there was a book I read a long time ago a couple years ago called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind and there was an exercise in the book I probably talked about this before but there was an exercise in the book of trying not to complain about anything for two weeks and during that two weeks like three of these awesome crazy things happened to me so I tried to remove negativity as much as I can three amazing things happened to me it changed the course of my life and I'm here because of that period in my life I'm doing, I'm making, I'm work, I work for myself and I make YouTube videos because of what happened in that, in that time frame. So check out my vlog, um, little plug for me and maybe I'll add something else here too. That's not about me. There's a website by this, uh, artist named Bill Prickett and he just does these wood sculptures, wildlife, and they are absolutely amazing and lifelike there is an octopus on there which we'll we'll link in the show notes that i want so bad so if anybody out there has fourteen thousand dollars that they don't need and want to gift me a wooden octopus here's the link it's amazing it's so beautiful very cool you know it's you know it's funny that your vlog video i watched it right before we got on skype Hmm. and i already put it in the show notes Oh, for your selection before you even said what? that. <laughs> it's there. We're on oh, the that same, thing is we're incredible. That thing, it looks like it's, he's laying over the wood. Wow, that's it's beautiful. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cat likes it too. Yeah, my cat's crying. He's hungry. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to, I was going to talk about a couple things, but uh, you just reminded me since you said you wanted to buy this piece of art. I bought a piece of art. Uh, while we were away in September, I talked about it. And actually, Marco finally emailed me. He said he's completed. Marco Trenisi makes these little tiny planes and we made the transaction. I bought one from him and I'm so proud to say that I own a piece of work that he actually made by hand. He made a little replica of a Lee Nielsen plane and I'm going to get one and it's completely operable. And uh, so I think Marco is a fantastic artist. He inspires me because he makes things really tiny and he makes them absolutely accurate. It seems almost more accurate the way he makes them than they are in real existence. So hmm. check out Marco Trinisi. But I also wanted to say, uh, so thank you, Marco. I know you'll probably never hear this, but I wanted to thank you for that. But check him out as an artist on Instagram. And I uh, also just wanted to say I saw the Colin Furs series where he makes this hover bike. <laughs> and it's insane. And then I don't know what's going on. There's, uh, you know, in life, these, these uh, inventions trend. And it seems like there's like a trend of this hover bike. I open Popular Mechanics and there's some guy standing on like a pair of like a hover feet. There's like in one of the articles is like the best inventions. He's standing, I was at the airport. So this idea of this hover thing is kind of cool. It's got me thinking of like some sort of like quirky mobility machine. And so I got a couple of ideas brewing. And one thing I haven't spent my time doing is making like a kind of like a Burning Man build, which is kind of like this outlandish mechanical thing, whether it be practical or not. But the idea of just making this practical, impractical object leads to other real practical things, whether hmm. directly or indirectly. So I'm, it, the Colin first thing has got me inspired to, to do some sort of mobility robot. Not exactly sure what it's going to be. I have some ideas, but I don't want to commit to anything until I actually start building. Hmm. So that's got me going. And uh, I was able to catch up on some of my videos while I have a second to talk. I I got a leather backpack video coming out and uh, people that are on my Patreon have already seen it. And um, getting close to finishing my book, thankfully, part of the leather backpack was part of that. And uh, I was able to make a a sheath for my leather knife, which is a video I just put out. My bee house video is probably going to be out. Uh, by the time this airs, Dave's done three episodes of the Bee House video, so he's got all the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I did a, a Core 77 episode of it, so I get to explain exactly what we're doing. And uh, it just feels good to catch up. So Nice. Thank you. That's cool. funny. I, I added a mobility-centric project to my list this week, too. Oh, right on. Yeah, it's one that I don't know that I could actually pull off. I don't know if well, I'll even try it, but my goal is uh, make a fair New York. So if I can get something done by the end of the summer to walk around there with, or ride around, nice. or hover around, depends on what Ooh. happens. You know, <laughs> it's interesting that you put that on the list, Bob, but you may not get to it. But it, it's it's cool to put those things on a list because you don't know what you may learn over the course of the next month, year or so, and then you might. Re- look at that list i'm like oh 
now is a perfect time to do that. And I love, right. so I love how you put these things on your list that are maybe out of your range. Yeah. No. So. Yeah, it went directly onto my totally bananas list. <laughs> I like it that. Did, it did. <laughs> um, so my video this week is a guy named James Hill. He plays um, ukulele. And my brother, my brother's a musician as well, and um, so he always sends me like really cool people and stuff. But this guy plays the ukulele in a way I've never ever seen anybody else play it. And this song in particular is one of my favorite songs of all time, "Voodoo Child" by Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable song, but he does it on a uke in a single <laughs> take with no looping, and it is amazing. So, and I haven't watched a bunch of, I've watched a couple of his other ones. I'm kind of, I'm like, I'm I'm imagining like Stevie Ray Vaughan, where like you got the rhythm and the lead coming out of the same hands. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. He he has some sort of weird percussive hand thing that I can't even like see what he's doing. I I don't understand it. Yeah. That was always uh, something that always, I loved about Stevie Ray Vaughan, how he can kind of play a lead and a, and a rhythm all at the same time. It just all comes out of like an explosion of sound. Yeah. Yep. So I'll put links to that, but check out um, James Hill. Cool. So um, <clears throat> before we go, I want to thank our Patreon supporters, especially Make, Build, Modify, Elijah Taylor, Dominic DeFino, John Cornwell, Luis Gonzalez, and Jeremy White. They're our top supporters. Thanks, guys. And as always, we are super grateful for them um, and everybody else. All of the support, even the, you know, the $1 ones still help us do what we do. Do you so. know how many emails we don't reply to about sponsorships because yeah. we're happy with Patreon right now? And the, yeah. so there's been a flood of them lately. It's almost like a like a copy and paste. Like they have the full title of our podcast, which is Making It with Jimmy DeResta, Bob Cleggett, and David Petrudo. Yeah. And every time I see that full title on email, I know it's just a, a uh, copy-paste thing but yeah but thank you patreon people it it makes it so worth it so fun yeah it makes it and, super cool that we can do this and we don't have to worry about getting a sponsor yes. to pay for the hosting bill yes it's <laughs> great you know <clears throat> hey you know you guys just reminded me of something i've been having a conversation the last couple of days um with a couple of investors guys that i've been talking to for about a year now about trying to help you know me with the next step in my career and talking about this maker educational space, you know, lately we've been calling it, we've been kicking around the term maker mecker, the maker mecca. Uh, and I found this tremendous building nearby. I talked about it a little bit. I didn't really say details, but I found a tremendous building near my house in upstate New York that I can get into right away, but I have to buy it. That's the difference. Um, so I'm working on getting a mortgage, but these guys might help invest. And the one thing they keep saying is, will people really come there? Will people really come and see you there in upstate New York? Hmm. Like, why don't you want to stay in Manhattan? I'm like, because I have 10,000 square feet, potentially upstate under a covered roof. I could have a lecture hall if I want. I could have like video YouTube sets set up forever. You know, Bob, I can recreate your room in this particular building that I'm looking at. And you can come to New York and you could shoot with all your fake organs and stuff in the background. And so I see so much potential in this place that's, you know, out in the outskirts. So I just asking the fans that are listening, just as a, you know, if there was a fee, because there's going to be investors, of course, I'll have to pay them back. I don't know what the fee is. We haven't done a full business plan yet. Just out of curiosity, would anybody want to come? You could just send me a tweet and say, I would come, you know, if in the next like two years I set this place up, they just don't like, I see it. I talk to you guys all the time and I see, and I see people going, I can't wait to come up to your place in the country. But if these guys are willing to give me money to get this place going and get the hotel, this, this property I'm looking at includes a hotel. It includes a hotel and a huge warehouse. So people would have a place to stay for a weekend and a place to work for the weekend. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's this crazy piece of property. I just happened upon anyway. So these guys, if they invest in me and, and help me purchase this place and help fix it up and set this business up, they just want to hear some real testimonials that people say, hmm. yeah, I'm willing to come. I mean, I don't know what the money's going to be, but you know, just picture two weekend stay with booze and food, all that included. And, you know, get to hang out with us and whoever else wants to be there for the weekend. Um, so if anybody's willing to do that, you could send me an email directly to jimmyduresta at mac.com or you could find me on Twitter. And, and I'm going to cut and paste these into like a PowerPoint just to show these guys. Well, everybody tweet at him with hashtag maker mecca, M-E-C-C-A. That way you can like get to him really easily. That's great. Thank you, Bob. See, yeah. we're, we're inventing in real time here. And then <laughs> one more thing. 
because I had this conversation today, and then I said, well, next week I'm going to be at the Filson store in Manhattan's NoHo area that's on Bond Street. I will be at the Filson store May 12th doing an axe handle bandsaw demo live in the store. Oh, sweet. Six to eight at the Filson store in Manhattan. So May 12th, six to eight, Filson, New York City. So all my tri-state area homies, come out if you can. Come say hi. They'll probably have drinks and tidbits to eat. You could eat the wood chips I cut off of the handle. (laughs) Fiber. (laughs) Right on. Um, Thanks thanks for letting me get that out. Absolutely. Um, And we, the three of us, and a bunch of other people, I've found out, are going to be at uh, Maker Fair Bay Area. Yep. May, I, I never look up the dates. It's like the 22nd through the 24th or somewhere around there. It's that weekend, whatever that yeah. weekend is. Um, but we're going to be there, and I, I've been watching on Twitter the number of other YouTube people and maker people. Luis is, is coming. Climbing. <laughs> Luis oh, is yeah, coming. Really? He's going to ride yeah. back to Puerto Rico on his motorcycle from San Francisco. That's crazy. But, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Either he's driving yeah. there or he's coming from there. To, I don't know. You he's going to be there with May his motorcycle. 20th to the 22nd. 20 through 22nd. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a ton of, of creators there. So not only is Maker Fair itself very, very cool, um, but you would get to meet a bunch of us, which I don't know if that's interesting to people or not, but we're going to be there. So. <laughs> yeah. I just, we were there last year. It was so big that I wasn't even able to take in everything over yeah. two days. It's, yeah. it's mind blowing. Yeah. And like Jimmy was talking about the Burning Man stuff the big crazy sculptures oh, a lot of those yeah. people who make those sculptures take them to that maker fair and so yeah. you'll see giant metal horses that spew fire out of their nose and all sorts of i mean last year we saw a probably 70 year old woman playing a keytar which was controlling a fire shooting organ that was also <laughs> like a car it's crazy so yeah you should definitely go to maker fair yeah um so yeah uh we'll be there that's i guess when the show goes up that'll be like two weeks or something it's uh, pretty close. So. Oh, God, so much has to happen between now and then. I'm so nervous. <laughs> we should find a pizza place or something to hang out afterwards. Yeah, that, that Saturday night we'll try to do some sort of a, if we can find a place big enough for you know everybody that we know that's going to be there. For sure. Get everybody together. So. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> probably, probably day of as we figure <laughs> <Yeah>. it out. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Make a Mecca. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag Make a Mecca. I love you.